0: following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. So this morning, as Amy mentioned, we're in the fourth week of our sermon series called The Story of Us. You may recall that this year at IBC, we're, we're going deeper into the biblical story. We, we began that in January and February with a big overview series, The Story of God. And now during the season of Lent, we are looking at a slice of that story, the story of Israel between Exodus and exile. And therein, we're looking at the story of us, looking at Israel's story as a mirror in which to see ourselves. And as we look at Israel's story, what we see are these patterns that recur throughout Israel's history. And the patterns that recur in their lives are the patterns that continue to recur in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the subject of idolatry. And in order to do that, I want to take you to the Old Testament book of Hosea. The book of Hosea, it's one of the later books in the Old Testament. There's no shame if you need to use the table of contents to find it. It's a powerful little story, a rather intense little story, if you know it, if you don't buckle up, because it's a powerful but intense little story that I think reveals a lot about the tendency of Israel and a lot about the tendencies... Us, But more importantly, it puts on display for us the the love and the faithfulness of God. And so uh, you may recall, if you've been around IBC for a while, that 10 years ago in 2012, we actually did a sermon series during Lent through the whole book of Hosea. And when we did that series, we put together a series of short films that capture the Hosea love story. And those films have gone out there and and the first one that I'm going to show you here in a minute, the first one has been viewed almost 250,000 times because it so poignantly captures this powerful story, the Hosea love story. So take a look. And the lord began to speak through hosea the lord said to him go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her for like an adulterous wife this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the lord so he married gomer the daughter of diblaim god calls hosea the prophet to not only declare his message to the people of israel but to live it, to embody it. And and here in these first three chapters of this little book of Hosea, we see this story, the love story between Hosea the prophet and his wife, Gomer. And what we find is that this story is intended to convey a message to the people of Israel, a message that helps them see the reality of their unfaithfulness. But even more importantly, the message for them to see the faithfulness The loyal love of God. And I think that's what we're going to see as we we trace this story. We're looking at some highlights of these first three chapters of the book. We, We begin here with these opening verses that establish for us the main characters. The first one that we see is Hosea. And Hosea's name actually means salvation. It's the same root word for the Old Testament name Joshua, the Lord saves, that is also then the same root word for the name Yeshua, Jesus. And so Hosea's name means salvation. He is a prophet of God sent to embody God's message to the people. And God tells him, I want you to marry Gomer. Now, it's bad enough, isn't it, that her name is Gomer, right? I mean, I know sometimes people like to look through the Bible for, for names to, to name their kids after a biblical character. If you're looking for a name for a little girl, can I just tell you this is a really bad choice, right? If you're considering using the name Gomer for your little girl about to be born into the world, can I just tell you we'll have uh, deacons and prayer team members here at the front that would love to pray for you at the end of the service, maybe give you some wise counsel, right? It's bad enough that her name is Gomer which means, by the way, finished or complete. And it's bad enough that her name is Gomer, but, but then we're told that she's a promiscuous woman. And, and actually, this phrase here in the New in the International Version is kind of softening the blow. That in fact, it's probably better rendered as a prostitute, a harlot. Go, go and marry a harlot because my people have committed spiritual harlotry it's very likely that she actually is a participant in the ritual worship of the idol, the god Baal, a Canaanite god that Israel in this period of their history has been seduced to pursue and to worship. This is a period in Israel's history about 750 years before the birth of Christ. It's in the last days of the northern kingdom of Israel. It's actually for them a time of prosperity and peace. But in the midst of this, They've been seduced to pursue, to worship the god Baal. Baal was believed to be a, a fertility god that, that caused fertility with the ground, that caused fertility in, in people's bodies. And so they would actually engage in ritualistic acts of prostitution, of sexuality, in order to try to get Baal to respond to their pleas for fertility. It may very well be, many scholars suggest, that, that Gomer actually is a ritual prostitute a harlot that has played a part in the harlotry of Israel and Hosea is called to go and to marry her to help Israel see the reality of their infidelity but but more importantly for them to see the fidelity the faithfulness of God now we we hear that story and and we go well <laughs> That, that's really not the story of us, right? I mean, they're, they're worshiping foreign gods. They're bowing down before statues. And, and, and we would never do something like that, right? We, we, we don't bow down in front of idols made out of wood or stone, right? None of us are bowing our knee to something that's forged out of silver or gold. And yet the reality is for all of us, we do bow our hearts to things other than God. An idol is anything in my life that I elevate to a higher place of affection than God himself. Anything that I invest my trust in above God himself. It can be a good thing that I turn into an ultimate thing. Something that I look to, to provide for me. Something that only God himself can provide. And as John Calvin has observed, our hearts are perpetual idol-making factories. We're constantly looking for things in this life to satisfy us, to meet our, our sense of need for identity and security and meaning and comfort. And we look to things and we look to people, we look to relationships other than looking to God himself to supply those things. We can make idols out of our careers. That some of us just so pour ourselves into our work because therein we find our sense of identity and security our sense of meaning. We can look to relationships with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, and actually elevate that person's status in our hearts where I need what it is that you supply. And I have elevated you to a status higher than God himself in my life. And I put a pressure on that relationship to meet my needs in a way that that relationship was just never intended to meet. I can make an idol out of material things or or money, getting my sense of self by what I have, what I possess, or what I can purchase. I can make an idol out of pleasure, comfort, power. These things that I pursue that I have now elevated above my sense of allegiance, affection for God himself. That I look to and say, I need this, I I want this, I trust this more than I need you, more than I trust you, more than I want you. Our hearts are perpetual idol-making factories. And when we chase after our idols, we're committing spiritual infidelity. And so God asks um, Hosea to, to engage with this wife and to, to be her husband, to, to show his faithfulness, his faithful, faithful character to his unfaithful people. And, and through the rest of chapter one, what we find is, um, is Gomer gives birth to three children, one of whom we're told explicitly is, is Hosea's child, implying it seems that the other two are not. And we're told about the prophetic significance of the names of these kids. But but then we move into chapter 2. And chapter 2 is a, now a prophetic oracle in the form of a poem where the Lord speaks through the prophet to his people. And sort of blends together this image of Hosea's really messy family and Israel's infidelity. And we come to chapter 2. We pick up in verse 5. And we see it says this. With reference to these children, their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. And she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Right? She's pursuing these other lovers just as Israel is pursuing other gods. And she says, they're the ones who are providing me what I need. Right? They're meeting my needs for, for food and water, for, for clothing, for uh, the good life, wine and oil. My idol's are the ones who are meeting my needs. And this was precisely the problem for Israel's idols and for ours. And that is that sometimes they work, right? We've talked about this before. Never fully, never finally, but enough to keep us coming back. There are times when Israel prays to Baal for rain and it rains there are times when we turn to those things in our life to, to satisfy us or to help us to, to feel secure, and, and it works. Never fully, never finally, but enough to keep us coming back. And then the Lord speaks through the prophet to his people in verse six and says, Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes, I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way she will chase after her lovers but not catch them she will look for them but not find them then she will say i'll go back to my husband as at first for then i was better off than now she has not acknowledged that i was the one who gave her the grain the new wine and the oil who lavished on her silver and gold which they used for baal the first part of this, where, where the Lord talks about hemming her in um, with the thorn bushes, that, that it actually is, I think, a depiction that you see here in the beginning of chapter two, a depiction of what we might call the tough love of God, right? Tough love, we all know, is that form of love that actually seeks the good of the one who is beloved by allowing them sometimes to experience the consequences of their actions, in order to help them to take a sense of responsibility. So we give tough love to, to addicts or, or to children, to, 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 to people who need to sometimes feel the consequences of their actions in order to come awake to what they've done. When we talk about the judgment of God in the Bible, we, it's not a subject that we like to really talk about or even think about. And yet, what we sometimes find is, we actually find in the Bible, depictions of God's active judgment. That is where God brings negative consequences on people because of their infidelity, because of their sin. But more often what we find in the Bible, and and I believe in our lives, is actually what we might call the passive judgment of God, where God simply allows us to experience the natural consequences of our sin. There's places that talks about God gave them over. He gave them over to the natural consequences of their sin.